Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to our visitors who are here with us this morning. Please know that you are invited to fill out a visitor card. It will get you on our emailing list, and then you'll get a newsletter of everything that's happening around here. If you have been coming for a while and you would like to make this your spiritual home, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to join this congregation. The way you do that is you take a class or you meet with the minister and you sign the book and then you're a member. We come from a long heritage and tradition, part of which is to teach that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is as part of that heritage that I invite you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please join me in saying our chalice lighting words. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Remember by Joy Harjo. Remember the sky you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life, her mother's, and hers. Remember, all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember, language comes from this. Remember the dance language is, that life is. Remember. If ever someone were to ask you what this congregation is all about, what is your faith, you can say, well, every Sunday we read the words that are painted on our wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. And we're going to say it till it's true. The reading this morning is a story I wrote about my mother. It's called Joy in Ordinary Time. My mama was a second grade teacher at the Gladwin Elementary School in the rich suburbs of Philadelphia. She loved the children, but she was shy with the parents, who were financiers, pro ball players, attorneys, members of the junior league, cricket clubs, and fox hunting clubs. For Christmas, she would get amazing presents. One year, she got a bottle of Joy perfume, then $150 an ounce. I don't know that she ever wore it. She was keeping it for a special occasion. She kept it so long that it finally evaporated. About other things, she was more open-handed. We had grandfather's china and silver, which she often used. That's what they're meant for, to be used, she said. There's no sense in having them if you're not going to use them. 
That open-handedness did not extend to her own person. She wore sensible clothes, comfortable shoes, white cotton underwear. She had grown up the child of missionaries, and whether she wanted it or not, that missionary stream ran deep in her. She looked respectable and kind. She was cute and cheerful and funny. Joy perfume didn't fit who she seemed to me to be. But a daughter never does see all the sides of her mother. It makes me smile to think that she harbored a hope that there would come an occasion where it would be her, where she might walk into a room smelling rich and sophisticated, cherished and valued, where it would be just the thing for her to wear. She let my sister and me smell it whenever we wanted to. The bottle sat like an honored but intimidating guest on her dresser, and whenever we smelled it, we marveled at how much it had cost. I don't remember it ever occurring to me to wear it. And I want to let this lesson sink deep into me. Celebrate the body, the trooper of a body that carries you through life, that pleasures you and lets you dance. Celebrate your body now before you've lost the weight, before you get your muscle definition, before you feel justified by the harsh eyes of your expectations. Celebrate being alive, drawing breath. Celebrate that you are achingly sad today and that it will pass. It is good to be able to feel feelings. Celebrate that there was a love so big and good that it hurt to lose it. That there was a time so sweet that you ache remembering it. Celebrate those things. Honor the flowering of the tomato plants, the opening of the daylilies, the lemon smell of magnolias. Honor the ache of your heart and the tears falling. Life is mostly ordinary time. Ordinary time shot through with light and pain and love. Lavish joy on ordinary time. Hope is a wonderful thing, but not if it makes you put off flashing yourself with joy. It's wonderful to be back with you. I bring you greetings from the Unitarian Universalist Church in Sacramento, California, and from the Unitarian Universalist Church in Kingston, Massachusetts. That's where I've been. I was with a group of ministers this week, teaching them what can't be taught, really, and something that I don't always do that well, uh, but there you go, uh, how to speak the truth with humor. So uh, we had a good time, and it rained and was cold, and so I was glad to get home. And they all were sitting around talking about Mother's Day and preaching on Mother's Day, and they were just like, oh, my gosh, it's such a minefield. I don't even want to go there. My church... My church has flower communion. We just don't deal with it. My church does poetry Sunday on Mother's Day. My church does music Sunday. I don't preach. Not everybody had a good mom. And we all, um, those of us who do have children, all we all wonder whether we're a good mom or not. Many days we suspect that we're not. Many of us are mothers of one thing or another, whether it be children or ideas or businesses, art. 
I'm just going to tell you about my mom this morning, the things I learned from her. She, her name was Catherine Presley Hamilton, and she grew up in what is now Pakistan, a child of missionaries. She came back to the States when she was 16 and had to go to the international student meetings just to feel comfortable because she did not really belong as an American. Her parents um, preached to the Muslims and the Hindus who were um, around the town of Lahore, which is now in Pakistan. So when I knew her, she remembered a little bit of Hindi and a little bit of Urdu, and she would um, sing hymns in Urdu while she washed the dishes. And um, when I was in seminary, I invited some international students home. There was a guy named Sam who was from Pakistan and a um, guy from Ethiopia, but he'd been in uh, school in Moscow. And uh, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner, and Sam was helping her wash the dishes, and he came back in crying because he said, your mother has such the accent of the village in her Urdu. The Ethiopian Marxist priest from Moscow uh, converted to capitalism during a game of Monopoly. <laughs> he started out very dignified, and then he ended up going, Money! 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 When they were children, they would come home on the boat for furlough. The boat took a long time, and they would, they would stay in the States for four or five months at a time. My grandfather would preach, and the children would sing little songs in Urdu. And um, my grandfather's Urdu wasn't so good, and neither was his wife's. And so the children would change the words to the hymns so that they would be singing, Pass Me the Beer, and um, terribly wicked, things like that. My mother said she wasn't sure why until later, but all of her aunts and uncles would cry when they saw them getting off the boat. She said it, it was mostly because we were, we were so ragged. We dressed from the missionary barrel, and so there were clothes that were 20 years out of style and that had big holes in them or stains on them because people don't send the missionaries their best clothes. And... Um, whenever... I wore something with a little hole in it or a little spot on it or a little safety pin holding it together, which is why we have a safety pin on the front of the bulletin today. Um, my mother would just say, oh, Maggie, just smile and nobody will notice. My mother was a believer in smiling. Um, she preferred to stay happy. And part of how she stayed happy was to see things in the most positive possible way. Whenever she had a choice, she would see them positively. It was, I think, I, I think I would call it willfully positive. Um, she she would say, "The day I had you all was the happiest day of my life. The happiest." Like I think it was the only day you ever took really strong drugs, Mom. She was even willfully positive about her marriage. 
um, which was not good. She and my dad lived together till I was about three, and then they separated, but they stayed married until I was 19. So they had like the world's longest separation. And she would say, your father is a difficult man, but I love him. And one day I was um, in her bathroom for something, and I saw Reader's Digest on the floor, and I just picked it up to, to see what she was reading. And she had filled out this questionnaire about your marriage. And there was a question that said, if you had it to do over again, would you do it over again? And she had checked no. And I was shocked. It just tells you how children see the world. They see what they're used to, and I am um, now I'm shocked that I was shocked, but there you go. He just smiled and didn't think about it. He smiled about teaching second grade. He loved it. Loved it. Every minute. Never complained. She told funny stories at the dinner table about what happened with the children. She told one story that she didn't think was funny. She was outraged. One of the one of the children came in with an earring and said, "My <laughs> my dad said he found this in his bed and he wants to know is it yours." <laughs> he was horrified. Horrified. She always took a nap when she came home from teaching school, and I used to tease her about it. I would be like, oh, my, you got to take a nap, huh? You had a really hard day. <laughs> and then I went to teach with her one day. <laughs> I was 14. I was at the height of my powers, and, boy, I passed out when we got home. She was really good at telling elephant jokes and knock-knock jokes. We would groan, and when we were camping, which we did every summer, she would take out the plastic plates that went with our VW camper van, and she would go, red, green, purple. They were all different colors, and we were like, Ma, we know our colors. We're like 17. <laughs> she smiled about taking us camping. She had... My sister and me, and we were each, uh, we were allowed to bring one friend. So it was my sister's friend one summer and my friend the next summer. And so she had three teenage girls in a van. She would drive for 10 hours a day and then set up camp and then cook for everybody. I, I can't even imagine it. But she, she smiled about that too. She had a good time and I learned adventuring from her. She never felt lost if she had a full tank of gas and knew what country she was in. Because <laughs> we never had a plan. We never were headed anywhere. We just would go, and when we felt like stopping, we would stop, and she could find the best camping place in any town. And then we would go to the camping place, which in Europe, we usually went to Europe, and it was just a big field. And so she would drive around on the field, bumping across the grass until we saw a pup tent, which meant boy. And so we would camp next to a pup tent, and she wanted to find us some boys. Otherwise, we'd be like, Mom, we're bored. And um, she would take one end of the clothesline, and she would tie it to the van, and then she would take the other end of the clothesline and knock on the pup tent door and say, Excuse me, may we tie our clothesline to your tent? 
And by the way, would you like some spaghetti? We're making spaghetti for supper. If there weren't any boys, we would have belching contests, which she always won. My mother was a lady in so many ways. She taught me to drive with admonitions to keep my wrists loose and do this when I turned the wheel. And yet, she never was too much of a lady when camping. So I learned that. Be a lady when you need to be, but don't take it camping. She always paid a tithe, a tenth of her income, to the church. She was a very, very, very faithful about that. And um, one summer, we were driving across the country to California, and on our way home, the car broke down in Needles. I don't know if you've ever been to Needles, California, but it is in the middle of nowhere. And so we had to get towed pretty much across the Mojave Desert, I think. And um, at the time, this was in the 70s, it cost $290. And she, um, she said, you know, Maggie, God is joking with me. And I said, really? She said, $290 was the amount of the tithe that I was going to pay for this summer. And um, I thought I would hold back and not pay it just in case we had an emergency. And God is just telling me if I had paid it, our, our car wouldn't have broken down. She was virtuous in her schedule. She woke up every morning at five and prayed for an hour. And then she practiced her violin for an hour. And she was not very good. And so this is what my alarm clock sounded like every morning of the world. Cannon on the violin. She played in the mainline symphony orchestra in the way back row. And she kept it up. And so what I learned from her about that is a thing worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> if it brings you joy. She kept smiling when she got a lump in her breast. She prayed about it. And the lump didn't go away. And she waited a year for God to heal her. And then went to the doctor. He did a mastectomy and radiation and then another mastectomy. And she was in and out of the hospital for the next five years. And we kept hearing the cancer was gone and then it would come back. And so I learned not to hope. She always did hope, though. She said, Maggie, everything that happens to me is good because God is good. And I remember arguing with her one time about that because I was in seminary and it makes you mean. And finally I decided that her faith was helping her and I needed to let her have it. He also went to faith healers. They made me mad because they said, God isn't healing you because you have an unconfessed sin in your life. So she racked her brain to try to figure out what it could have been. Now, this is a woman who was a saintly little second grade teacher. 
who prayed for an hour every morning and was sweet. How could she have an unconfessed sin in her life? Those rats. And then one of them came to the house to pray and said, if anyone does not have faith that God could heal this woman, I'm giving him a southern accent, but he was from New Jersey. You got to leave right now. Leave the room. And so I left. I'm mad about that, too. It infuriated me that she was believing in a God who would sit up in heaven and cross his arms and say, I could help you, but I'm not going to because you're not asking me correctly. Or I could help you, but I'm not going to because someone in the room is harboring a secret doubt that it could happen. What kind of God is that? That is not the kind of God you want to worship. And that helped make me a Unitarian Universalist. My mother was excruciatingly honest in most things. One time we drove into a drive-in movie. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember those. But um, we got all hooked up with the little speaker on the window, and it was a pain, and you, were, you have to roll it up just right, and we are in there. And the, finally she realized that she had told the guy my sister was under 12, and she'd had her 12th birthday a couple days before. And so we had to unhook the speaker and drive back around, and she paid for my sister. One time I came in from school and I found her sitting at the kitchen table crying. And I said, Mama, what's the matter? And she said, somebody sent you a postcard. Oh, no. She said, and I read it. (laughs) That was it. Her cancer made her honest about the rest. She was about 45 when she got sick, and at 46, she sassed her mother for the first time. Her mother asked her to do something when we were visiting in North Carolina, and she didn't do it right away, and her mother said, how sharper than a serpent's tooth is an ungrateful child. And she said, and I turned around to her, and I said, Mama, I am not a child. And then she started crying, and she said, I know I've treated you like a child sometimes, and if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do it. And I'm like, Mama, I'm 21. It's okay. She said, No, I think if I had it to do over again, I would tell you no less. I said, No, 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 all the time. I remembered that when I was raising my boys. She never did get honest about dying, though. She always said God was going to heal her until the night that she called me at seminary and said, the Lord is taking me. And so I got in the car. Well, I got in somebody else's car because I couldn't drive, and I was too upset. And some stranger, really, in the hall, I don't... I didn't know her that well, but she was in training to be a minister, so you could kind of count on helpfulness there. And uh, she said, I'll drive you. It was an hour and a half, and she drove me and took me home, and um, I got to sleep by the sofa the night she died, and when you would call her name, she would go, just a minute, I'll be right there. 
like she was already traveling somewhere. I value the things I learned from her. I value choosing to be positive. I value music and laughter and wanting to make a difference in people's lives. I'm glad for what I learned to do from watching her do it, and I'm glad for what I learned not to do from watching her do it. My values are different from hers, but I carry her with me, and I know you carry your mothers too. And it is my hope that on this Mother's Day, we can all bless our mothers for the good that they gave us and forgive them their faults, if we can afford to. May we understand that we don't have to become just like them if we think about it and live with intention. And it is my hope that many of us who are parents can remember that we've given our children many treasures and that we've also given them things that will not be helpful for them and we must allow them to let them go. And that is how it should be. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.